Well, welcome to the Values Driven Productivity Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Mankin, and the purpose of this podcast is to help you make meaningful progress on things that matter. In today's episode, a conversation with Trillia Newbell. She's the author of God's Very Good Idea, a true story about God's delightfully different family. It's a children's book, but our conversation revolves around what it looks like to join with children in learning and growing towards racial reconciliation in our culture. Well, what a gift to have Trillia Newbell on the show today. Trillia and her husband, Thurn, live in Nashville, Tennessee with their two kids. She's been published in publications like Desiring God, Christianity Today, Relevant Magazine, The Gospel Coalition, and more. She is currently the Director of Community Outreach for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the Southern Baptist Convention. She's written many books, including Enjoy, Finding the Freedom to Delight Daily in God's Good Gifts, Fear and Faith, Finding the Peace Your Heart Craves, United, Captured by God's Vision for Diversity, and then the book that we're talking about today, a children's book, God's Very Good Idea, A True Story of God's Delightfully Different Family. And I'll tell you, whenever I had reached out to Trillia about this conversation, I had originally wanted to title this episode something along the lines of what it would mean to teach your children the value of diversity. But after reading this book with my son and contemplating this issue a lot in preparation for this interview, I realized that I am very inadequate in this area of racial reconciliation of my own understanding and feel like I have a lot to learn too. And so I so appreciate the way that Trillia encourages families together, not only parents to teach kids, but parents to learn with kids about what it means to engage this conversation from a more biblical perspective and what it looks like to approach the conversation with humility, but not with fear. I think I have typically thought about a topic like racial reconciliation and felt a little bit nervous, candidly, about stepping into a conversation just out of fear that I'm going to say the wrong thing or ask the wrong type of question. And just talking to Trillia set my heart so much at ease and um, just encouraged me, and I hope it's an encouragement to you, to approach this conversation from a place of humility, from a place of confession, from a place of learning, And from a place of a willingness to take steps toward each other in relationship, especially in relationships that include people that look a lot different than you and I do. And so please be encouraged by this conversation with Trillia. If you would like to engage your kids in a conversation about racial reconciliation about the beautiful diversity of God's family and how that's not just a secondary issue to the gospel. It's a central issue to the gospel. As you will hear Trillia share in this interview, I would encourage you to pick up her book and um, just be encouraged by this conversation. So without further ado, here is the conversation that I had with Trillia Newbell. Well, Trillia, why write this book on diversity? Why write it now? And why write it for kids? 
I love that question. And it really stemmed from me doing a Sunday school lesson at my local church. And um, when I was searching out information about uh, diversity and the gospel and relating it to kids, I couldn't find anything. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't anything out there, but I was looking for something that was gospel-centered also, and I could not find anything. And so I was so I had to write it. I wrote, I wrote a curriculum. And so when I taught this, the kids, their responses were nothing short of so sweet and remarkable. And, and, and I just, I thought, you know, I can't, this is maybe something that could be helpful beyond just my local church. And so I, um, that, but that was, I remember a friend telling me that she was talking to her daughter and her daughter was relate, relaying what she learned. And one of the things she said was, Mom, Sydney, Sydney is my daughter. Sydney isn't just my friend. She's my sister. <laughs> and I knew, you know, this, this is something I want to write about and get to other people. You also asked me, why now? Be- because it's, it's something that is essential it, um, for for. Our, for our development, for our understanding about the church, for our understanding really of how the the gospel um, the imp- gospel implications of our relationships, and and so it is essential that we be, build that foundation now, and we start today, yesterday. Really, we're behind, to be honest, and um, and so I, I just thought now is a good time as any. When I bought the book, I imagined that this would be a Christian book about diversity, like with a Christian book with a lesson about diversity. But I realized when I was reading with my son, truly that this is a book about how diversity and racial reconciliation are central to the gospel message. How do people who believe the gospel or how should people who believe the gospel approach racial reconciliation differently than those who don't believe the gospel? I'm glad you said should, because unfortunately, I don't think we know how to approach this conversation, we being those who know Jesus. I think we have um, in some ways failed in this area, but we have, there's a few things. One, we, if we understand Genesis 1 to Revelation and how God has created a people made in his image, all equal, all fallen equally, all need of Jesus equally, and then Jesus, he, he, he died on a cross bearing the wrath that we deserve, anyone who would believe, every tribe, tongue, and nation, and he gives his disciples a multi-ethnic mission to go and make disciples of all nations, with thus giving us that same charge. And then we, we know that the veil of hostility has been torn in the body of Jesus Christ, that there is one new man, Ephesians 2, and, and then we, we see Acts and, and them going out to all the, all the nations being spread out, and we know the end game. We know that one day every every child, tongue, and nation will be worshiping together. So we just have a we have or should have a different lens as we look to racial harmony, as we look to reconciliation, because we we know the end, we know the beginning, and we know what Jesus has already accomplished. So we could approach this with um, such a great hope and foundation of truth that motivates us because we're family, 
because we we've been transformed if we know Jesus everything about it is so different um where in the world we we have there they there's been laws that have been changed which is needed and absolutely needed but um we need there needs to be deep rooted heart systemic changes that happen and so and we have we have a the tools to that transforms lives that brings dead people to life so so i think that that we have um we have a greater tool in that aspect and and so the unfortunate reality is is that we have not we we ha- it's not that we just haven't engaged on the topic from a gospel lens we've done the opposite we have we have used the scriptures to divide us. We have used the scriptures to oppress people. And that to me is, is a, a, I was going to use, yeah, I'll use the word abomination, but it, it's, it's a, it's terrible. It's a, it's grievous to the spirit. So we have work to do. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I really appreciate that point. And I have, I love your podcast too, with Isaac Adams, United We Pray. Um, if you're listening, I strongly suggest you go listen to that podcast. And I love just the topics of the conversations that you engage, engage in. And I love how you incorporate prayer into that podcast. But there's a specific episode where you and Isaac talk about um, how you're defining the end goal of racial reconciliation. That you both talked about how it's more than just meeting a racial quota in our churches. Um, and calling that a marker of success, that it's something to be desired and prayed for, that there's multi-ethnic, uh, many ethnicities and different types of people who are in our churches, but that is not in and of itself the end of the road, that reconciliation is a lifestyle of love for one another. Um, how, how do we move from measuring success in this area from just being able to tally how many different types of people are sitting in our pews to actually seeking a heart of love that is, is, is really driving this conversation? Well, there's a few things that just came to my mind. Um, the first is, obviously, we can't love without being transformed by the gospel. And what I mean is there's common grace to love, but this kind of love that God calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves takes the power of the gospel we need to be transformed. We need to repent where we need to repent. We need to confess where we need to confess. And God says that he, um, <clears throat> if we've confessed our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us. So one, I think we, we have to take the hard look at our hearts and see if we really do love our neighbors. And then two, if we want to get past quotas, then we have to be in relationship with people. So if this isn't about numbers, and about the family of God, then we have to, we must be in um, relationship with those who are not like us to take it to that next level. Um, yeah. So, so I would say evaluate and um, evaluate your heart. <laughs> I have a puppy and that's who you might be hearing. <laughs> no, <it's great>. So <laughs> I would say, <laughs> I would say evaluate your heart and then and ask God to transform, bring repentance, confession where needed. And then I would also just say that you need to be in relationship. Proximity changes everything about this conversation, and it changes our hearts. And um, and I do believe in the power of prayer. If we we can't um, 
it's hard to hate someone you're praying for. <laughs> so if you're if you start to pray, I believe the Lord will transform and help your heart. And I've seen it in my own heart, not regarding racial reconciliation or race in general, but if, in offense to other people. But the moment I start praying, I just start to see, oh, wait a minute. They need Jesus. I need Jesus. <laughs> I need to truly love and have grace and the same kind of grace that I would want for my neighbor, um, that I would want for myself. I, I want to want for my neighbor. So I, I do believe that prayer is essential in our quest for racial harm. Hmm. I wonder if you wouldn't mind even sharing just in your own local church body where you're seeing signs of life of this, any specific things that you can bring to the surface and share to a wider audience of just some of the ways that you're seeing this firsthand in your own life and in your own congregation. Yeah. So in my own life, I see it all over the place just by conversations with different people, people who are growing, who weren't aware before and are now um, aware. Um, I think in my, in my church, I, I just, I'm grateful for my pastor who isn't who who will who isn't afraid of this conversation and who is seeking in various ways to um, diversify leadership to to think through um, how how we do church to invite people of different ethnicities to the pulpit to speak and also yeah so there's lots of things that I see and I'm grateful for that I go to a predominantly white church. But it it does make a difference that he's that there's effort there to to make just to make sure that we're not <clears throat> um, that that we are reflecting one our community as much as humanly possible, but also that that multi ethnic call that God is what what we see in Scripture this beautiful um, I've heard people use sex of color uh, church. Yeah, so so I I'm encouraged by that, and and I think that there's that we see a lot more of that, a, a lot more people pressing into the issue, but also looking okay practically, how does this look? How does this work? And how can it? How can we effectively change our environment? Hmm. Yeah, and I'll admit that I think many children's books are written because parents want to to teach their kids the valuable lesson that they already feel like they've mastered themselves. <laughs> and I, as I read this book to my son, I realized how inadequate I felt to be teaching and felt as if this book was inviting me to learn even in the context of my family, because I, if I'm honest, I mean, at the core of who I am, I'm not, I'm not totally there. Like I've got a long way to go in this conversation and my own community and my own actions. And so I'm, I'm curious what you hope happens, not just in the hearts of kids as they're reading your book, but also as parents are reading this book to their kids, what, what do you hope happens in the adults or in the family unit as a whole, as a result of this book? Uh, I love this question. You know, I was, I taught a breakout session at a conference recently. It was the MLK 50 conference. And um, I taught, it was, it was Jesus loves the little children. And one of the first things that I said to them, you can't teach your children what you don't know. And you really can't be, you can't 
build this love for the nations if you don't love the nations. And you you really can't um, teach them something that they're, they're going to see through it. They're, they're, you, you can't teach them something you don't do. So if, so it's, I think, um, yeah, I, I think you've, you've kind of uh, got caught. How can I say this? I think you have figured out a secret in God's very good idea. <laughs> One of the goals was that, that the parents would also be captured by this message and that it would be something that they could pass on to their children and not just something that we teach our children, but something that we also live by and um, are, are captured by and adore, that we adore the gospel and that we love people. So I think, um, I think it's essential for parents to be uh, educated and to grow in understanding, to grow for our own love for what the gospel says and the implications of the gospel and race. And, and so, you, yeah, it, it, my hope is that parents would be ahead of the culture and that parents would be um, excited about what the Lord has to say about this and that they would celebrate it, that it wouldn't be something that's um, drudgery or uh, something fearful that they engage in, but there's celebration and joy that we can talk about this. Hmm. Yeah. I so appreciate that. Even the opening of the conversation, because like I alluded to in my first question, when I, when I was thinking about getting this book, I really was thinking like, this is going to be just a, a symptomatic lesson of the gospel. Like that as Christians, it's important that we, have this conversation. But as the book and as the gospel itself shows us, this is not a tertiary issue. This is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in reading the book, I started to feel convicted in ways that I didn't even perceive what happened. And I think there's parts of me in my own, um, if I'm really honest, parts of me in my own prejudice that comes to the surface, parts of me in my own yeah, blindness bias. to yeah. blindness, blindness to my own privilege in these conversations, blindness to so many contexts that I just don't fully can't fully wrap my head around. And I've learned a lot, even listening to some of your conversations with Isaac Adams and your other podcasts. But I think for me, this took uh, my pride, a place where I said, Oh yeah, like I'm, I, I know, I know how to have this conversation or I know how to enter in into this, or I understand the importance of this to a whole nother level. Because for me, it, it, it brought up in me sin that I think, or, or at least a bias or something that I need to really dig into more. And so I really thank you for that. And I think for, for other adults who are listening to this, I, I just, I, I hope that same thing happens because it seems like that's a really important step that you were as you said, we're really shooting for in writing the book. So, um, yeah. And it, and it's God's kindness. We need to remember it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, to repentance. It's his kindness that, that he would show us, um, where we are, are falling short here, our blind spots, our, our preferences that are really just 
sin of partiality. It's his kindness to us that he'd show us we're, we're racially biased so that we can change, so that we can love our neighbor as ourselves, which ultimately brings points to Jesus and could, could, and to his goodness and his grace. So, so I'm so great. Yeah. Praise the Lord for his kindness to you. And I, I, I hope that more adults will see it, not as a affront to who they are, but his kindness. Mm, that's great. Yeah. And I, if I'm, if I'm completely honest with you, Trillia, conversations about race make me nervous. Like, I love that your pastor is just courage, courageous to bring this conversation to the surface. And I love that. Like, I feel like I'm going to say the wrong thing. I feel like I'm going to offend somebody. I feel like I'm going to accidentally become a viral tweet. I feel like I'm going to be just like, it, it feels hard for me to approach this conversation. So I wonder if you have any advice for me or anybody who, who's listening, who feels cautious about engaging in a dialogue, just starting this conversation with people in their life. Uh, how would you encourage us to do that? And then by proxy, our kids to do that? Yeah. Okay. I'll start with adults. For adults, um, there's lots of things. I would say be quick to hear and slow to speak. So as you are learning, I think you need to take that posture of learning. So if this is something that you haven't engaged in and you haven't really thought deeply about much, it probably is wise to listen and, and try to learn as much as humanly possible before um, shouting out what you believe, because it could very well be harmful if it's not shored up by some sort of knowledge. And so that, that doesn't mean not to speak because you don't know. It means to make sure that you are doing as much listening as humanly possible. And, and I then absolutely speak. Um, another thing would be to educate yourself. And, and what I mean by that is we need to know our history so that we understand why someone is mourning over the sh a shooting, another shooting, or so that we understand why someone says, hey, there's systemic problems here. If we can understand our history and really educate ourselves, it helps in understanding. It helps to love our neighbor as ourselves. And um, so we need to educate ourselves. Um, another thing would be is to fight against um, making this about politics uh, or some sort of social, I don't know. I think so often the reason we're afraid of it is because it's been politicized. But if we can understand that this is important and, and we see it in the scriptures, that transforms how we approach it. And, and understand that we are talking about people, not projects. We are talking about people, not um, not some political issue, but people made in the image of God. So we need to gain, gain an under, uh, or separate it from our politics or from political conversation and see it as a, a topic um, about people who God loves and cares for and who created them. Um, another thing is, is, I really think for adults, and this goes for kids too. We need to celebrate. And I think so often we approach it in fear, which I get some of that because of our, our, how our, our nation was founded. But I, I think our, 
our problem is, is that we don't celebrate diversity. We don't celebrate God's vision. We don't celebrate our differences. So often we're afraid of them. For example, we, we, we try to pretend like we're colorblind. Well, we're not colorblind. We, we see color. So we need to just, unless, we, unless you are colorblind, <laughs> and in that case, okay. But most of us see, and we don't need to pretend like we don't see. Instead, we can celebrate and, and get to know different cultures and different people. And then we can, as we get to know people, we can engage, um, have a more fruitful conversation, and we can dive in and press into conversation better. But we don't, we don't know what we don't know, so we need to get to know people um, and then, sorry, this is a lot. I'll, I'll end with this one for the adults, but um, I think we need to fight the fear of man. Fight being afraid of people. Trust, trust God that, um, that he has, if he has given you a desire to speak up and for people of color and, or for, for, yeah, then trust him in that. And when you've made a mistake, humbly admit your mistake and and move on i think so often we're we're afraid and our fear of people paralyzes us and it actually can be a tool that the enemy uses to silence progress and to keep us from progressing and being unified so i say push through that fear and go ahead and speak especially if if it it could be a benefit to those who are unknowing, who have no idea about this culture or, or people or um, how the gospel it has implications. Okay, for kids, um, parents are so funny. So when we when a parent when a kid sees someone who doesn't look like them, and they point it out, our immediate response is to be to say, shh, 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 stop, don't say that, don't say that, kid, you know, and so we're like, no, 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 we're embarrassed, so, for example, if a child sees a woman who has a dot in the middle of her head, she's clearly, um, maybe she's Hindu, or maybe she's from India, I don't know, but she's clearly culturally um, different from the culture that he knows, and he says, mommy, what's that dot? Instead of just simply saying, hey, son, um, well, she could be from here, or she maybe believes this, or hey, why don't we go research it at home? We, we shut, shut them down. So immediately, that is reinforcing that, oh, difference is either scary, bad, or sinful, hmm. and pointing out, yeah, we immediately put this, like, oh, they're different than us, and we can't point it out. It's a bad thing. Rather than saying, oh, yeah, well, let's go home and figure, let's learn about this culture and, and celebrate the differences and try to learn, I mean, where we can celebrate, right? And try to learn what this, what this means so that the next time they see someone, it's not something that um, is sinful to look at and to enjoy, but it's something that they can look at and say, oh, that's right, I learned about that <laughs> Now I know what that means and or what what that me, could mean for that person. So um so for parents, I think we just need to be really aware how our responses to people and to differences 
impact the way that our kids viewed them. And not only how they view them, but how they will then grow up to interact with them. So I think we can help by just learning to celebrate and fight fear. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I heard another interview that you did on a different podcast where you talked about going through a series of time with your kids where you would engage in eating a variety of different cultures, foods and celebrating those cultures. So I'd love for you to even share that as a practical thing that people listening can do, even, even if they don't have kids, like I don't want this just to be a conversation of, of people who have children, but even anyone who wants to consider doing this with a Sunday school class or some volunteer capacity at their church or something like that. I'd love for you to share about that. Absolutely. Um, So not this summer, but the summer before, I believe my kids and I, we, we um, took, I, I just, I was trying to figure out a way to um, think of something fun and educational that we could do this during the summertime and also teach them about different cultures. So we sat down and we made a list of all the different cultures that, that we could think of. And they, it was their choice. And so they, we went through not cultures, but countries. So we would go through and we listed Germany and Ethiopia and Australia and England and all these different various, um, I think we, yeah, we, we had Russia. There's just all these different places. And, um, and we just, every week I would cook a dish from that country just one, once a week. And then we would talk about it, play the music and learn about the history. It was so much fun. We enjoyed, it was so much fun. And I, I'll, I won't forget um, the Ethiopia week. I cooked durawat, which is a delicious dish. And we sang mu- music and um, read about the culture. It, and and it, it was fabulous. I mean, the, the kid, my kids remember it. And it just, it opened them up to learning about other people without having to go with it. I was just at our dining room table and, and they love learning about different cultures and people. And, and, um, and so it's just a really sweet way to introduce culture to others, hmm. to, to my kids. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it when I heard that. And I think the audience, please do this with your kids. I'm really excited to try this with my kids uh, as well. So thank you for so that fun. idea. Well, I have a, a couple more questions for you. And this question is something I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, but what is one habit that you've put in place to make tangible progress towards something you really care about? Um, well, this, I laughed in my head and thought, well, this seems such a Christian-y answer, but it's the truth. I really love the Lord and I want to be like Christ and I can't know what I don't know, like what I said with people. And so Every morning, I, I try to get in the Word to read and learn about God, and I'll be worshiping Him for eternity, so I don't want to wait. <laughs> so I just, um, so that is a ha- habit that I have created so that I can um, start my day focused on Him um, and just so I can learn more about this God that I'm devoting my life to and that I would, um, by his grace be transformed 
to the image of Christ, one degree of glory to the next. So my ha- my daily habit is um, reading his word and praying. What does that time look like specifically yeah. for you? Like, do you read big chunks of scripture or does it, you know, like, what is it? What does your quiet time look like specifically? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it varies. I Right now I'm in Acts. I was in Psalms. Me too. Acts is blowing okay, my read, mind right now. Oh, I can't wait to read it. I mean, I've read it before, but for some reason when you go back, isn't it neat? So even just hearing you say that, it's so fun. <laughs> because you learn something new every time. Every time I go back to the Word, I'm like, wait a minute. I, I know I've read this, so haven't I? And I learned something new about the Lord or about about the people um, involved. And it's, it's just really awesome. So I'm really, I'm, I'm so excited to read Acts. But I've, I've been in the Psalms and, um, and I, yeah, Ruth, Esther. So, okay, practically it looks like just sitting down and, and, and reading. I, I will typically read a chapter or there have been times when I'll read just a couple of sentences and I'll be rocked and I'm like, okay, that's all I'm going to read. I remember reading in Colossians because I was just reading Colossians and I was reading about, um, and I can't think of his name right now, Epiphas or if I can't think of his name, it starts with an E, but, um, (laughs) and he was, he would struggle in prayer for others. And I just read that one sentence and I thought, oh, do I struggle in prayer for others? Do I, I want to, I want to be like that. I want to, I want, like Paul reassured the church that this guy would be praying for him and that he would be struggling in prayer for him. And, and I just thought, oh, what a, what a, what a God fearing person and that he so trusts the Lord and believes the Lord is true and real and that he cares so much for other people and loves other people that he would struggle in prayer for him. So I just, I want to be that way anyway. So, so I can, I will, it just depends. (laughs) It depends on the day or if I find something, but yeah, it's at least a chapter sometimes. I love it. Last question for you, Trillia. How can people buy this book and how can they get in contact with you? Okay. Um, for the book, um, if you have show notes, I'm assuming you'll probably stick, yes, a, stick a link in there. Okay. So that's one way is just to look at your show notes and, and get that link. Um, but it's available everywhere. So Amazon, um, the Good Book Company. So you can search out God's very good idea and you can find it. To see what I'm up to and to reach me is also pretty easy. Um, if you can spell my name, which isn't easy, <laughs> then you can find me. But my name is Trillia Newbell. And if you go trillianewbell.com or Trillia Newbell on any social media, it's just that. And I've simplified it because my name is difficult enough. So, <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Trillia. I appreciate it. You are awesome. Well, thanks to Trillia Newbell for having a conversation around what it means to join with children toward racial reconciliation. If you'd like to see any resources or links to things mentioned in the show, visit the episode page at valuesdrivenproductivity.com slash podcast. You can subscribe to the show almost anywhere you get your podcast. If you do have some free time, please do leave the show a review on iTunes. I'd love to hear your feedback. 
Please also do join the email list, valuesdrivenproductivity.com slash subscribe. As a member of this tribe, you'll get brand new content delivered directly to your inbox, which is about, about four emails a month. Well, that just about does it. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, make meaningful progress on things that matter. We'll make it, we'll make it, I swear.